inside Warringah, looking at the federal election from the perspective of the Northern Beaches. We're in the home stretch now, with the election being held this Saturday, and in this podcast we talk to electoral analyst Ben Rowie and founder of The Tally Room. I start by asking Ben to look specifically at Warringah and get his take on Zali Segal's chance in Warringah and also the impact of Catherine Dean's free selection in other electorates. Yeah, I think Zali Segal won't have any trouble. It seems like the Liberal Party has picked a candidate not with the goal of trying to win that seat and they're on the defensive, they're trying to protect other seats. It's not an uncommon thing that an independent has a fierce battle to win the first time and if they solidify their position, they are re-elected comfortably the next time. That's uh, happened quite a lot in the past. So that does appear to be the case with Stegall, which has sort of shifted the focus uh, north and west to uh, North Sydney and McKellar, I guess, for that particular part of Sydney. Yeah, and are you seeing, and I don't know, it's probably too hard to <clears throat> figure that out, but are you seeing an impact of Catherine Deves? In other electorates, that might be more conservative, where that tactic would resonate? Not really. I mean, clearly, Scott Morrison has an objective that he's been trying to achieve. There's a lot of reports now that that they had a goal with running Catherine Dees for that seat. Um, But, you know, we, we haven't seen any seat polls suggesting that, like, Western Sydney seats are reversing the trend the YouGov MRP poll, which which contained results for every electorate, didn't really detect any underlying reversal of trends in outer suburban electorates or any of that kind of stuff. You know, maybe in 10 or 20 years, that might be what happens is there's a bit of a swap of areas. But at the moment, it seems to be all downside for the Liberal Party that they're losing that heartland area, but they're not really picking up elsewhere. I live in Parramatta, where Scott Morrison has visited a lot of times. Uh, this area voted no in the marriage survey. Uh, but, you know, I've seen one seat poll here suggesting that Andrew Charlton was going to win comfortably. And actually, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence of an intense Liberal Party campaign. I've received one leaflet from the Liberal Party and received about a dozen from Andrew Charlton, the Labor candidate. So... Um, no, I'm not, I'm not seeing sensors working. Is it harder to measure the impact of independence in electorates when previously it has been a Liberal Labor contest? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to judge the individual independent. Uh, so swings aren't really a thing. Like any electorate could be vulnerable to an independent in the right context. Um, but it does mean that those other factors become less relevant. They can still be interesting, though, because it is easier for an independent to insert themselves in an electorate where only one of the major parties is competitive. It kind of allows them to overtake the other major party and get their preferences. So in this case, you know, Zali Stegall, I mean, the Greens were also quite strong in Warringah before she came around. She took a lot of votes off Labor and the Greens, and neither Labor or the Greens really um, had any illusions that they could win that seat. Whereas on the other hand, you've got North Sydney, where Labor... Labor seems to think they can win. They're fighting for North Sydney. Uh, there's been some polling suggesting that they're more competitive than Kylie Tinkies. And uh, that's because over time, North Sydney is still reasonably strong in the Liberal column, but it has been getting chipped away. Going to North Sydney, how are you seeing that one playing out with Trent Zimmerman and Kylie Tink? Yeah, so there's both talk about Kylie Tink and Catherine Renshaw, the Labor candidate. Uh, I don't think the polling is accurate enough to really be able to judge who's going to win that seat, except that clearly Labor and the Independent are both at least strong enough to be registering reasonably well in the polls. Beyond that, who knows? I think there's a good chance that Zimmerman loses his seat. The demographic trends are with either Labor or the Independent, but where it goes, it could be the kind of seat where on election night we don't know 
which of the two challengers is the main opponent. We don't know who to, to, to do the two candidate preferred count with, in which case we're going to need to wait until the end of the count in order to fully understand who's going to win. Yeah, I reckon that's probably going to be the case for a lot of different electorates, um, probably a lot of a lot of late nights and trying to figure out who that the two party preferred is with. Yeah, but ultimately, if there's only two candidates who are competitive, that's relatively simple. And so a seat like Waring, um, a seat like McKellar, for example, you know, who knows? Maybe they will decide to do a two candidate preferred count between Labor and Liberal on election night. But if they do, and Sophie and Sophie Scamps is competitive. They'll stop that and they'll do the proper count the next day and then we'll know. But in North Sydney, if um, if Tink and Renshaw are so close that we won't know which of them comes in the top two until like Greens preferences and other can- One Nation and United Australia preferences are distributed, then um, we may not know and we may be relying on uh, rough preference counts to know who how one of them or the other one would do. And, you know, we could we could find ourselves in a situation where one of them's in an election-winning position and the other one's not. Uh, who knows? Every time I talk about North Sydney, it's either people reference Ted Mack or or the last uh, by-election where Gladys Berejiklian resigned and then, then that sort of led to a by-election within that seat. And even though it was the Liberal Party person that won, there was quite a big sort of so swing towards an independent and that was with a, a fairly marginal sort of campaign that they're actually running um it sounded like it was yeah. pretty small whether that is an indicative of this coming election or whether it's probably too much sort of you're know, looking for a hopeistic outcome for what i think see. it's interesting i think it is interesting like yes it does ultimately come down to who the independent is who the sitting mp is but the fact that these kind of electorates, the northern beaches, northern suburbs, eastern suburbs of Sydney, have a history of electing independents, have a history of showing that their willingness to independence, willingness to vote for independence, means that um, when someone pops up, there's kind of fertile ground for them to work in. Well, the next one is looking at McKellar um, with Jason Flinsky. So that, even though it is right on the doorstep of Warringah and you can see that running Dr. Sophie Scomps uh, is a similar vein to uh, Zai Segel, Jason has quite a big swing already. Um, so it's quite a high mountain to climb in order to sort of get that, whether that high, uh, that hard challenge in order to get um, to overtop sort of Jason Flinsky, who has that sort of high swing against him. It's a safer seat in terms of a Liberal versus Labor contest than North Sydney. And in one sense, that means that, um, you know, Flinsky's primary vote is 53%. It's pretty strong. But it does mean that, there won't be any major party opposition and it kind of leaves a free field for Sophie Scomps. It sounds like she's doing quite well. We don't really know. Like, it'll be one to watch on election night too. But, you know, again, that area has a history. Uh, Alex McTaggart was the state MP for Pittwater. Um, There's a, like, the Northern Beaches Council is run, as I'm sure you know, is run by basically a local party that's sort of the opposition to the Liberal Party. So there is, there's a strong tradition of voting for someone who is opposed to the liberal dominance of the area but is not in any way Labor or Greens in that area. There's a long and strong heritage. Yeah, and there's that theory of if you get vote to a certain X percentage, then it becomes more of a more of a play around preferences of where people then it pulls all the non-Liberal Party preferences together in order to get that result. What sort of percentage do you think that 
that's where it gets into play where it, it once you get to that sort of percentage um decrease going down then it it's a bit more of a bit more of an ongoing thing i think you'd at least want him get him down to the low 40s uh it probably depends on you know like last time he picked up about 10% of the vote between primary votes and two party preferred um which is reasonably good for a Liberal candidate, but there was a wide range of candidates in that race. You know, you had Alice Thompson as an independent, who I, I think kind of was a similar kind of centrist climate independent type. You also had Sustainable Australia, the UAP, the CDP. So there was a few small... Sustainable Australia are a bit hard to classify, but the other ones, small right-wing parties as well. And this time around, you've got United Australia, you've even got One Nation, who I don't think will do very well. But there'll be a few percentage points there for Falinski, but probably if... Scomps is in number two. If Scomps is in second place on primary votes, uh, he will need more of the vote than he would have if he was up against Labor. So I would say, you know, if he's down around 42 43%, that's probably when he would start to get pretty nervous. Have you seen any polls that look specifically at McKellar? You, like the polls that you get from, um, like, Sophie Scomps has got a campaign and then Flinsky would be doing his own, and they would have their own sort of separate spin, but it's hard to to figure out where the truth is. We have one regular poll of McKellar, and that had uh, Falinski down on 35%. It had Labor on 18%, and it had Scomps on 24%. Uh, so that leaves a decent chunk of the electorate either undecided or for other candidates as well. Um, but it certainly does suggest that Falinski is at least in danger territory. Uh, and then we also have the... Um, the YouGov MRP poll, which covered every single electorate, that had uh, it just combined an others vote of 23%, and it had Falinski on 45, and that had Falinski winning after preferences 53-47 over the independent. So that actually fits with what I was saying, which is he's winning with a 3% margin off a 45% primary vote. So, you know, those polls aren't that accurate. That suggests that Falinski could still win, but is it's it's a close race. One other question, and this is more for the different Teal independents and it's the impact of their how to vote card. They would push a point of view saying that, look, as long as you give us one, we don't really care where your second and third and fourth preferences go to, which then leads to a possible error that people would be doing when filling out their how to votes, um, just sort of not filling any box or you know numbering one and you know you see it when you're doing scrutineering after the election that you get people that are nominating two twice on their sort of preferences and so i think that there was some theory that the impact of not having that sort of clear instruction and in preferences ended up leaving to a bit of a percentage difference in terms of what the result is um do you reckon that's the case or is it people are sort of fairly smart enough to follow someone's how to votes and if if they're smart enough to realize that they can make their own decision when it comes to preferences, that they don't really see that impact. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. The first is, you know, the primary reason why major parties give out how to vote cards is to ensure formality. It's to ensure their voters fill out their how to vote correctly. So yeah, giving out a how to vote that doesn't mark preferences does create that danger. Now, these are electorates where where English language rates are very high, people are quite highly educated. So that shouldn't be too much of a problem. And there is a history of that for independence. So they don't want to be pinned down by one side or the other. So they just issue a how to vote and say, I'm going to leave it up to you. I think strategically it does make sense, but it does create a bit of a danger for, for formality. Now in a seat like McKellar, uh, Warringah, Wentworth, I don't think 
you need to particularly worry about where the preferences flow. It's just making sure the votes are formal because the independent will either come second or if they don't come second, then the Liberals are going to win easily. Uh, North Sydney, though, is different because Labor can win North Sydney. And if Labor comes in the top two, then the preferences for Kylie Tink will flow. Now, how strongly they flow, we don't really know, but there is a history that, like, for example, um, in 2019, there was about 9% of vote. If you compare the two candidate preferred count, which is between Stegall and Abbott, and you compare that to the two party preferred count, which is between Abbott and the Labor candidate, there's about 9% of the electorate that preferred Stegall to Abbott, but preferred Abbott to Labor. Um, and that is because while almost all the Labor and the Greens, etc. preferences flowed to Stegall over Labor, Stegall's preferences did not flow anywhere near as strongly to Labor on the two-party preferred count. Um, plenty of them did, because after all, a lot of her voters had previously been Labor or Greens voters, but it wasn't 80, 90%, you know. So that, that could come into play in North Sydney. You know, if you have one candidate whose preferences are flowing like 60, 40 and another candidate's preferences are flowing 85, 90%, it may well be a situation where Tink's preferences don't flow strongly enough to Renshaw to elect Renshaw, whereas if the positions were reversed, they would. Yeah, so that's that That could be a dilemma. But it's also possible that uh, Renshaw could just be strong enough to win despite that. Um, the other thing I would say as well is that we're describing there the preferences of the actual voters. We don't actually know how much control Kylie Tink could have over those voters. Maybe if she said preference Labour second, that might encourage a few of them who would otherwise vote Liberal to um, prefer, who would otherwise preference the Liberal Party to instead preference Labour. But it could also alienate some of those people. So instead of preferencing Tink one, Liberal two, they might just vote for the Liberal Party. Uh, or they might just ignore her. So the Greens in particular have a history that the Greens, if they recommend preferences, about 85% of their preferences flow to Labour. If they don't recommend preferences, like if they say it's up to you, open ticket, the kind of thing these independents do, it's like 75 or 80% to Labour. Not much changes. You know, a few percentage point might change, but most of those voters may have made up their own mind. And it's not so much that the Greens are leading their voters to their preference, but the Greens' preferences are going where their voters already are. So with these independents on the North Shore, I think you would find there's a big chunk of their voters who were previously from the centre-left and will flow back to the centre-left. Some of them who were previously from the Liberal Party and will flow back to the Liberal Party. And they're not really tink preferences. You know, they're, they're preferences of voters who've chosen to insert her at the top of their preference order, but may otherwise keep them. I'm sure there are some who can be influenced. Influence These sort of preferences can have more influence when your voter doesn't really know what to think of who's running. I think one that's interesting is um, the seat of Fowler in southwestern Sydney. You've got Labor, Christina Keneally, who is, um, you know, reasonably from the right of the Labor Party. And then you've got Di Lee, who is a member of the like local, in the same way that the Regan party runs Northern Beaches Council, the Frank Carbone and Di Lee party has a supermajority on Fairfield Council, and she's the deputy mayor there. So she's running for that party, but she has a history as a liberal, can, uh, liberal candidate. She was running as a liberal candidate. She was a liberal party member for a time while she was on council, but she left the party when they didn't want her to run for council, and she's allied with an ex-Labor mayor now. But for her, I would think Greens voters out there would say, um, I don't really know what I think of Di Lee versus Christina Keneally, and I might listen to what my party has to say more, and that party, the Greens in that local area, have decided to preference Keneally over Lee. 
And that brings us back to what we were saying about an open ticket because Fowler is not like the Northern Beaches. There's a lot of voters there who speak a language other than English, maybe haven't grown up with our voting system. Um, there is a greater risk that those votes will be informal. And she seems to have adopted a policy early on she was open ticketing. But now she's adopted a policy of issuing lots and lots of different how to votes with lots and lots of different preference orders. She's got preference orders where they go straight to the Greens, where they go to One Nation, where they go to United Australia, where she goes, she numbers from the top of the ballot to the bottom or from the bottom to the top. Um, it's almost like she doesn't want to be seen as taking a side, but it can also add to confusion because anyone can take a picture of any particular of her many how to votes and say, aha, she's preferencing One Nation. It doesn't really matter because One Nation can't win, but that's what someone like Sophie Scomps or Kylie Tink would be wanting to avoid. You know, they don't want to be seen as the Labour candidate or just a stooge for the Liberals, both of which they would have been accused of. And a how to vote that you fill out kind of forces you to pick a side. And that's one of the things that I don't love about compulsory preferences, apart from what it means for the voter, is it kind of forces alliances for candidates that they don't necessarily want to make. Yeah you just get lost in that trap of choosing every different scenario that someone would want to go through in their preferences and with the idea that they'll just pick the one, oh, that goes like to unfavorable liberal over the label, so I'll choose this one, but then just leads to sort of that level of confusion, but mm. sort of sounds like that's probably not really much of an issue within the Northern Beaches and sort of that metro Sydney area. No, it's, they they would not need to do that thing. That thing is confusing Dai Lee doesn't really have an option, I think, is where I've landed after the 24 hours of thinking about it. Um, but Kylie Tink, uh, Sophie Scomps don't need to do that. They can just leave it up to the voter and trust that their voters know. And maybe a few of them vote informal. There's stories about Monique Ryan in Kuyong, um, stories about some of her voters realising after the fact that they only numbered one for her and didn't fill out the rest of their ballot paper, including people are very highly educated people with very successful professional careers but i don't i don't think that's going to be happening in significantly large numbers so i actually forgot to ask about when that's just that was close to begin with um you know when david sharma ended up winning before at 1.3 percent um towards the liberal parties and you go if you go into the electorate you just see you know every different sort of billboard taken up by you know advertising for a different candidate um i mean even though there's just so much money swirling around in order to try and push one way or another i just feel that there's a slight sort of momentum that i'm getting towards uh, the independent yeah um wentworth i feel like you can usually include wentworth as an honorary member of the northern suburbs when we think about these electorates demographically politically it has a lot of similarities um it has some bits where labor is really competitive and does really well but not enough to do it across the whole electorate. Um, it seems like a league of spenders in a strong position. You're right, 1.3% margin for Sharma over Karen Phelps at the last election. Um, but I don't really know. There's been polling. The polling tells us that Spender is a serious candidate with a serious campaign. Beyond that, whether she's winning or not, I don't think the polls are accurate enough to be sure. Is that because it's the? it's not that you know liberal labor sort of comparison that we're talking about sort of before in the issues of having that sort of two-party preferred that's part of it mm. you don't have a base swing it's not a question mm. of like a two percent swing or an eight percent swing even in wentworth where there was an independent last time in the end they're different people you know phelps and spender are, are different um but um i think it's also that these i would say that about any electorate like the 
a seat that's on a very large margin I can feel comfortable about. If we're also in a situation where we're looking at a 20% swing to labor, then the seats on 1% or 2%, I'd be like, oh, yeah, they're gone. Yeah, if, if there was a huge margin, you might say it's safe. But otherwise, there's always room for seats to have different kinds of swings. Campaigns play out differently. The political science is not that precise. So, for example, we have two seat polls in Wentworth, one from January that had Spender winning 56.44 and one from late April that had her winning 53.47. And then the YouGov MRP had her losing 56.44. Now, all of those, no more than a 6% margin either way. That's well within the range of possible outcomes. So I think either either result is entirely possible in Wentworth. Awesome. So the last one is sort of more looking towards the Senate, keeping it just for New South Wales, because I'd imagine if we broaden that out, it just gets too complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, New South Wales last time elected three coalition, two Labor, one Green. This time there is three coalition and three Labor up for election. I think probably the most likely outcome is the Greens will gain one of those three Labor seats and that's it. Uh, It's possible if they have a particularly bad election, the Liberals could lose their third seat. But the polling at the moment suggests the Liberal Party is not doing too badly in New South Wales. If they lose a third seat, probably that in that scenario, it would be someone like One Nation, United Australia, someone else on the ballot. But I think right now it probably will be three coalition again, Um, which is interesting because as I've been going through the other states, every other state and the ACT, there is a serious prospect the Liberals could lose a seat in each of those states. So um, Liberals could do quite badly, partly losing seats to the left, but also losing seats to the right. Um, But New South Wales seems like a place where they probably will keep their three. And so within sort of the Senate, got other different parties, like I know Jan Caro um, in the Reason Party and, you know, you know, Australia Party and other sort of different minor parties um, that are running. Do you sort of see that likely to happen or whether it's just going to be sticking with the three sort of major ones of Liberal, Labor and Greens? Yeah, I, I don't think it's likely. I don't think anyone like Jane Caro for a reason will get elected. Um, so the quota is about 14.3%. That's what you need for a full election. So probably to win a seat, Maybe if you're lucky and you get the right preference flows, you could do it from like 6 or 7%, more like 10 you'd have a good shot. It's very hard for one side of politics, either the left or the right, to win more than three because three seats is 43% and four is 57 There's a big gap there. Um, so I think if the Liberal vote drops, probably the people who would be in with a chance of beating them would be someone else from the right. One Nation, United Australia, someone like that. I don't think New South Wales really has high enough vote for the centre-left for uh, for left-wing centres to get elected. You've been listening to Insider Inga. Thanks for joining me on this journey and covering this federal election in the Northern Beaches. It's been a blast. Also, quickly, if you're looking for the Ringer's candidate debate that occurred, make sure to look up Ringer Candidate Forum on YouTube. It was certainly a barnstormer. Till next time, I'm sure I'll see you at the next federal election.